from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We got a gambling segment. We've got a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. And especially this week on Thanksgiving, maybe I get some cooking questions. I'm hoping for that because I don't cook on Thanksgiving. I just, I'm, I'm like the guy that just slugs around. But you know what? I like to cook, so I might be able to cook. Rick, do you cook? No, not really. I mean, we, we didn't get many cooking <laughs> questions, but you know we got food questions. Uh, we always do. Sure, absolutely. absolutely. It's a, it's what we yeah. do. Maybe it's, is that because I, am I that fat that people just go, hey, you fat guy, I'm going to ask you questions about cooking. I think the combination of the two of us, I mean, neither one of us are exactly svelte. So, yeah, I think that probably has something to do with it. And because we come up with good answers, aside from the one you gave us last week where you told me to mix Frank's Red Hot sauce with yellow mustard as a dip. Well, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. You're just eating mustard, but it's a little bit spicier. I mean, I'm not a big mustard guy. It was fine, but I, I wouldn't recommend it unless you really like mustard because you're just dipping pretzels really in mustard. Disapp- I, I, I really thought you would like that. It's one of my favorites by far. Damn. I, I mean, it's just mustard, essentially. It's it's If you like mustard, it's great. Right. Yeah, well, you're right. If you if you don't like mustard, it's probably not going to work for you. But if you like mustard with a little kick, it's mustard with a kick, right? Yeah, I was it's just good. hoping – I was hoping maybe the, the hot sauce cut it and made it into a different flavor or something that was a little bit different. But now it's just yellow mustard that's a little spicy. Hey, I'm so sorry. Here we go. I tried. Uh, all right. Let's get into our topics this week. A lot going on with all these sports converging here as uh, fall becomes winter. Uh, the Bengals skinny. They got beat by the Ravens 34-20 on Thursday night. But that was just a subtext to the real story coming out of the game as Joe Burrow injured his wrist. And we later found out he's done for the season. Jake Browning played the second half at quarterback for the Bengals and will be the starter for the foreseeable future. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on here. But first of all, Skinny, what should Bengals fans be rooting for at this point? Uh, A competitive team the rest of the way or a tank job for the highest draft pick possible? Yeah, I'm not a big believer in tank job. I I get it. It it is a storyline. I've heard a lot of people talk about that storyline. I've heard I've seen people on X talk about that story line, but no, I think you're still trying to win. I mean, you're a game out of the playoffs at the moment, and you have a chance to get a tiebreaker advantage over Pittsburgh if you win this. You already have a tiebreaker advantage over Buffalo. You got a chance to get another tiebreaker advantage over Indy. Now, you don't have it over the Houston Texans, and they've got a really favorable schedule down the stretch, but um, no, I think you still try to make the playoffs, and I think they feel like with this roster that they like, that they can make that one. Maybe it's delusional. I wrote that today of um, you know, the fact that they really believe in the headline was why the Bengals players and coaches think they can make the playoffs despite the loss of Burrow. They really believe that. And I, I think I hang on to that hope if I'm a Bengals fan. It may not work out. And, and this Sunday will be probably the definitive point of that of if you lose at home to Pittsburgh, then, yeah, you're done. But if they win, you go steal a game at Jacksonville, maybe. And then you got two more home games after that in a row in, in Indy tiebreaker advantage and Minnesota Josh Dobbs God love him he's been great but he's not great um it's been a fun story you got a chance to be right back in this thing and so yeah I'm I I would say I'm rooting for the playoffs if I'm a Bengals fan yes if you're Zach Taylor and you're on the team or you're on the staff 
then you should be holding out hope. You should be trying to win. You should feel like you still have a chance to make the playoffs and you should want to make the playoffs. By the way, they're also all professionals who get paid to do this. So their numbers do matter towards future contracts and their performance now. It's it's like having a job. I mean, you still have to perform and you will get paid on, on what you're doing here the rest of the year. So for all of them, they should absolutely be looking at it that way. As a fan personally, I'll, I have to admit, I don't see the, this team doing anything if they make the playoffs. First of all, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs because they already have multiple teams they have to leapfrog to get there. Sure. And the odds of them doing that now when they weren't able to do it with Joe Burrow without him are very low. And then if they are able to do that, there's zero chance of them making a run in the postseason. So from my perspective, the idea of being able to get a high draft pick while you're still in Joe Burrow's prime those opportunities are probably going to be few and far between. I would love it if this team went out there, had a great attitude, gave it the old college try, and then lost every game the rest of the way personally. That's how I feel. But I understand the the other side of it of like, you, you know, you, you should want to compete. You should want to have a fun season and all of that. Um, but I just I just think there's more value in getting a high draft pick. Now, the other part of the, that equation, though, is how high of a draft pick are you actually going to get, even if you lose out the rest of the way? And the other part to it, Ricky, is in my opinion, is if if Jake Browning balls out for whatever reason, what, whatever that means, five and two, four and three, three and four, even whatever that means. If you go, hey, he wasn't the reason they didn't make the playoffs. It was the defense. It was this guy. It was the offensive line. But at, at that point, if you go, hey, we got ourselves a backup quarterback that can play. I think that's important too. I really do. Do, do you think they have a backup quarterback though? If he balls out, or do you think he goes and gets a big contract somewhere? It's mm, a good I mean, question. That's the, that's the um, best thing in the NFL is a guy who plays really well for a couple games at the end of the season. That's what everybody wants to spend a bunch of money on in the offseason. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I, I've i looked around the NFL. I mean, there's not many good backup quarterbacks, for goodness sakes. So he, if he did that, it would certainly raise his value. But at that point, do you pay him what you think he's worth? And does he go, hey, I'm in an offense I know, understand, like, want to be a part of. We're a playoff caliber team, and if somebody, if Joe gets hurt again, I got playoff caliber talent around me. If I go to whatever the pick a team, I can pick a pick a bad team, whatever it is, I don't have that talent around me. I don't want to be a part of that. So uh, that's probably the team that would pay a guy that does well down the stretch. I, I just think it's a win win if you make this playoff run. If not, then you go okay. Listen, hey, Jake Brown is not the answer. It was never the answer. It was never going to be the answer. We're good. Let's move on from somebody else. Let's get a, you know, get go get a draft pick. But I think to this point, and I you know, talking to Brian Callahan, I've never heard a guy in a position he's in as an offensive coordinator dealing with these guys every day be more optimistic about a guy. And it can be all BS. It, you know, I, I see you shaking your head. It can all be BS. But I've never heard somebody be that optimistic about a guy. Trust me, when he told us about the rest of the ride, he said, I love our roster. Hear me out on this. He goes, Jamar Chase is great. T. Higgins is great. T is great. Didn't say T. T is great. TB is great. Joe Mixon's been good. And it was almost like a damning praise of Joe Mixon. Like, you know, he's been good. It wasn't a great praise. But he's been really high on Jake Browning. And I'm going to lean into that at the moment. I get what you're shaking your head about. I get where you're at with that. But, I mean, when he basically threw Joe Mixon under the bus, and you remember the thing from a few weeks ago where, well, we get runs that are blocked and he doesn't do much, but he, he's been really high on this kid. And I'm, I'm going to lean into that at the moment until I see otherwise. 
Yeah, two two things there, though. First of all, what else is the coaching staff going to say at this point other than, yeah, we have nothing but confidence in this guy because otherwise they look really stupid. Second of all, that's my problem with this. This guy, you all, all of you media types, spent all of training camp going to these training camp sessions without Joe Burrow participating and talking about how terrible the quarterback situation was with the quarterback between Jake Browning and Trevor Simeon and how they need to bring someone else in here, how bad this situation was, all of that stuff. I listened to it for multiple weeks. Not not for the last week. The last week, the kid was great and he played great. Sure. Great. Great. One week of training camp. He was solid for I'm real. I'm really sorry if that doesn't do a lot to give me confidence. Maybe he's great. Maybe I'm completely wrong about him. Dude, you've coached. You've been around sports enough. You know that guys can get better, yes? Mm, yeah, but not ones that have been in the league for multiple years, never getting a chance to even get on. The, like, sorry, Skinny. He may be the exception. Maybe he's Tom Brady and just hasn't gotten his chance yet. But chances right. are this guy can't play because all of you thought he couldn't play for multiple weeks while watching him. My, my Until- Odds are he's just not talented enough. Maybe not. And that's, that's, a, fair, that's a totally fair point. But I want to see it. I mean, he was not off sure. in Baltimore, was he? Well, look, I'd love for him to be great. He made a couple of really nice throws in the Baltimore game. So, I mean, it looks like there's something there to work with. And you have also, you personally have written about the relationship he's had with other younger players because they look up to his knowledge and his IQ yes. and yes. how he knows the system inside and out and all of those things. So maybe he really will be the rare exception and the guy who's able to to keep this thing going without Joe Burrow out there. But sorry if I'm not that optimistic about it based on what we know about the situation and based on what we heard all preseason. Had the Bengals gone out and made a move and gotten a real backup quarterback and someone they liked? And That's the thing. Who? Who? Right. I've heard that. I've heard that argument. Who? I'm with you. I was just, you didn't let me finish, but I was just getting ready to say, I'm not really on that train as much as everybody else, because I don't think most teams have a backup quarterback that's capable of replicating what their starter would give them if they're out. So I'm kind of of the opinion that if Joe Burrow's gone, this team ain't going to be this team and you're better off spending that money somewhere else because maybe your defense will be good enough to pull through without Joe Burrow, or maybe your running game will be good enough because you spent that money on offensive line or something. So I'm pretty much fine without them bringing in a high paid backup quarterback, but I also don't like, don't, don't tell me to get excited about Jake Browning now though, because he's Jake Browning. That's who he is. So th- that's what it is. But the, the other side of this is, and I mentioned if they do tank, Best case scenario, they lose the rest of their games, and they're already at five wins, right? So you're talking about five and 12. Hang on. Hang on. Best case scenario is they win games and go to the playoffs. No, no, no. If you're tanking, if you're tanking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying if you're you're of the opinion of you're trying to tank and get the best pick, the best case scenario is you end up at five and 12, and and you lose out. You're at five and 12. I guess my question is how many teams or or what what pick do you think they end up with at five and 12? Because – I don't think – I mean, the Panthers aren't getting to five wins. No. I don't think the Cardinals are getting to five wins. Are the Bears or Giants getting to five wins? Are the Titans probably getting not, to yeah, five wins? Not. So, probably like, not. I mean, you may not even end up with a top five pick even if you lose every game the rest of the way. So that's another thing to consider here is, like, they already won five games. If they win, like, one or two more, you're talking about maybe not even in the top 13, 10 or something. 13, so yeah 13, yeah, 13 to 15. Right. So at that point, like, is that is that now what do you really want to tank for that 
that's where you start to lose me is if it's like, I want to tank to get the 15th pick overall. It's like, well, I'm kind of out on that, to be quite honest. I'd rather you just go win at least half the games at that point. No, I I will tell you, based on talking to coaches and a couple players, they believe they can make this work. And it's not perfect. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be Joe Burrow-like. But they believe they can make this work. And you do have three of the next four games at home. Pittsburgh, which is just so bad offensively that they fired their offensive coordinator. Um, they have to go to Jacksonville, and that's going to be easy on a Monday night. But they've laid eggs in weird ways. I mean, they lost to Houston earlier this year. Maybe that's a uh, a, a feather in the cap for Houston because they're better than what I thought they would be. But still, earlier in the year, it's like, oh, my gosh, how did they lose to them? And then you got Minnesota with Josh Dobbs. I mean, they've beaten Josh Dobbs once this year. And it's a cute story, but it's not going to work out well. And then Indy. I mean, you have a chance if you win three of the next four games and you're sitting there at eight and six down the stretch, I think you roll and go, hey, we got a shot here. And that's the only point I want to make is this is not over yet. I get your point, too. I, But I don't think they're going to intentionally tank. And here's the other part. If you think your roster is as good as you think it is, one guy, even though the quarterback is a huge spot of this, right? It's the hugest. It's the biggest spot of all. You can go win games. You don't have to win them 29-26 or 31-27. You're allowed to win games 19-16. So that's the other part is the defense has to figure out a way to be better. And maybe they can't, but maybe they can because we've watched them be good at times. Well, and we've seen other top teams in the NFL do that where they win yeah. a couple of games without their now, maybe not the last half of the season without their star quarterback, but we've seen teams keep it going and, and win a few weeks without their star quarterback. So I do think that's something the Bengals have to improve at. They have to continue to evolve. It can't just be like, well, we've got Joe Burrow and these really talented receivers on rookie, you know, young contracts and they're cheap right. and all this stuff. Like at some point you do have to evolve to the next phase of what the Bengals are going to become beyond just those guys being on cheap contracts. And I mean, that brings up another point, skinny. Is this the last time we'll see the Bengals young core of Burrow, Chase and Higgins together? Yeah, I think so, for sure. Um, I've talked about this before. We've talked about this on the podcast. I mean, Tyler Boyd's probably gone. I I can't imagine he's not gone uh, unless he takes a very team-friendly deal, and I can't imagine he does that because somebody's going to want him. T could be tagged. I think at that point, T will probably be tagged. So I get that part of it. Yes, to, to the core of what you're talking about, then yes, the answer is yes. And I think Mixon's gone, too. I mean, I can't imagine they 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 re he signed Joe Mixon for any reason whatsoever. I mean, he stinks this year. And so, yeah, to your point, yeah, there's there's no way this is the core that comes back next year. But, but Burrow, Chase, and Higgins, you do think will be together for at least one more year with Higgins being franchise tagged? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, Those Burrow, three? I'm sorry, Burrow, Burrow, Chase, and Higgins. I thought you put Tyler in that mix. Yeah, yes, to answer your question. Okay. I can't imagine they don't franchise tag, tag T. I can't imagine that. But, but I mean – with that franchise tag, it does to some extent mean that the the big window, the window we were all talking about, while these guys are on those cheaper deals, now you've paid Burrow. Higgins, you're going to have to franchise tag him if you want right. to keep him for another year. And I mean, Chase, you got to pay next year. Right. I mean, so the the deal is up as far as that goes, building around those other guys and be able to spend a bunch of money on other positions. Now you're having to make tougher decisions going forward, and you're having to figure out, like we talked about, What's the next phase? Where's the next young star that's going to be on a cheap deal coming from? And I'm not sure if we have a good idea of that just yet. And, and, uh, and, Rick, and Rick, to that point, and that to that point, 
you're probably going to have to replace your right tackle in Jonah Williams, who's probably going to walk, probably, not necessarily. Who's been good, by the way, this year. He's been great. Alex Kappa has not been very good. I don't think you replace him, but he's not been very good. Karras is just a dude. Cordell Voles has not been very good. And Orlando Brown has been horrifying. Um, But you've paid a couple of these guys, so you have to make that work, too. It's a mess at the moment, which stinks because it felt like this was the window of three to five years with some of these guys that you could make a run. And it feels like now that you've paid Burrow his money, you're kind of screwed. Do you think Jake Browning is the guy for the rest of the year? Is there a chance AJ McCarron works his way back in there? Well, I think only if Browning is a dud and, or uh, he gets hurt. Uh, I don't, I, I, it's a fun story. I, we, we laughed the other day of Jake Browning comes in and wins, you know, three of the next four games, like I talked about, you lose the game at Jacksonville, but you win three of the next four and he gets hurt in the fourth game. And suddenly it's AJ McCarron. He takes you to the playoff and he leads you through the playoffs. Like he could have done that year where where they should have won against Pittsburgh. Right. And it would be a cute story. It'd be a fun story. Um, But yeah, I, 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 unless Jake gets hurt or is a complete dud and I don't think he's going to be a dud. He's not going to be, he's not going to be Joe Burrow. I don't think he's going to be a dud. Um, but if he is, then yes, you're going to see AJ McCarron for sure. Does it now become rely on the running game a ton, or do you think they'll let Browning actually play with his new toys a little bit? So, so I asked that question. It's a great question. I asked that question of of uh, Brian Callahan on Monday, and I said, you know, do you scale back? And he goes, nope. He goes, Jake knows the offense. He knows what we want to do. We're going to put things in that we that he likes that that we like for him. Um, but he said, no, we're going to do what we do. And that, that may mean they run it a little bit more. And I said, will you go under center more? And that might be the case where they go under center more for some handoffs, for some bootleg action. I think Jake's really good in bootleg stuff. I really do. Um, Joe's not. He looks Joe pretty athletic. Like, yeah. He, Joe, Joe does not like under center. That's fine. You have to, you know, um, put it for him. But Joe does not like under center. So maybe you can do some more bootleg stuff and that, I, I, dude, I'm a huge bootleg fan. Bootlegs in the NFL, it feels like everybody goes one way and one guy goes the other way and a guy drags across. It feels like they can get 10 yards anytime you want to out of bootleg action. You can do some more play action pass stuff. So I think there's some things they can lean on that are going to be strengths for Jake that are not strengths for Joe. And uh, again, he's not Joe. Joe is a high level quarterback. He's a tier one quarterback. He's a tier upper echelon quarterback, but I think there's some things they can lean on for, for Jake that they can't lean on for Joe that might make this offense as effective. If not, uh, I shouldn't say more. That's not fair. Yeah. As let's, let's not do that. Skinny. Yeah, let's not yeah, do that. Right. Fair, fair point. Fair uh, point. I, <laughs> I stopped. I stopped myself, Rick. On, on a lo- along similar lines there, does the staff change the way that they approach these games at all? Like, do you start forcing some younger guys into the mix to try and accelerate their development? And quite honestly, I'm not even exactly sure who that would be at this point because like Miles yeah. Murphy's already getting in there and you know, I, I'm not exactly sure who, who we'd be talking about here, but do you think it changes at all how they approach things? I don't, but I do think you're going to see more Jordan battle. I think you saw that the other night. It was kind of a changing of the guard. Nick Scott's not been very good and Jordan battle came in and played pretty well. Um, and I talked to him a little bit uh, on, on Monday about that. Um, he didn't suggest that he was going to get more snaps, but I think he will. I think he'll be the starter, to be quite frank. If not, he'll be in there very quickly. Um, and I said, you know, you seem to handle the physicality really well the other night. How about the communication? He said, communication wasn't as good as I'd like it to be. He goes, but bro, 
I was in the SEC. It's physical. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's fair. Um, I do think you'll see some more Chase Brown. I do think that's the point of if they run it more, it won't be a ton more mixing, and it won't be like Chase Brown's going to get more carries than Mixon. But I do think they want to get Chase Brown in the mix. And as Brian Callahan told us on Monday, they were trend the week he got hurt, they were trending that way of all right, let's get another guy more snaps and at least another touch or five, whatever that is. It might be five, it might be seven snaps. He's got a chance to not be dynamic, but he's got a chance to be more explosive than Joe. Um, you know, Joe hasn't had a great year, as you know. I mean, he, he gets tackled when he gets tackled, as Brian told us three three or four weeks ago. We get what's blocked, and we don't get much more. And like I said earlier in this podcast, when he said, you know, Jamar Chase has been great, and T's been great, and Tyler Williams has been great, and Joe Mixon has been he's been good. You could tell that was kind of damning praise of, yeah, he was good, but he's not good anymore, and we're just dealing with what we're dealing with. So I do think Chase Brown will get way more and hopefully pops a couple of runs. That would be the hope. Now, I'd like to see that because he was one guy when they drafted him that I was kind of excited about, and that's been a complete zero to this point so far. Yeah, uh, right, the Bengals, right. Yeah, the Bengals do host their rivals from Pittsburgh on Sunday at 1 p.m. Is this game just going to be like an absolute mess, Skinny, or what are you expecting here? Well, we'll talk about in the gambling segment where we go with this, but obviously Pittsburgh fired their offensive coordinator today as we're doing this podcast on a Tuesday. Matt Canada got fired. Um, they're replacing him with, uh, I think, the running backs coach. Um, it's a kid, uh, uh, Eddie Faulkner, I think, whoever it was. He was a running back at Wisconsin. Did you watch the video of all of Kenny Pickett's throws that went beyond the line of scrimmage from this past weekend? I did not. How bad, how so, bad was it? I someone put it out on Twitter where it was just like back to back to back, just all the throws really quickly. All of the ones that he attempted that went beyond the line of scrimmage, skinny, it's horrific. Go back and look at how if – if you pull this up on Twitter, it is one of the worst sure. things you've ever seen. It is Rick, I've never seen a team – they're six and four, and God love them for that. Maybe that's a testament to Mike Tomlin. He's unbelievable as a coach. And their dudes and whatever it is. They're six and four. And do you know how many games they've been outgained this year? Do you know the answer to this? How many games I have, have no, been no clue. I'm going to guess two. No, been outgained. They've been outgained. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. All but two, I would say. Uh, all, all ten. That's insane. That is All insane. Of but, them. Skinny, it kind of feels like they've been this way, though, for a few years now, where it's like they yeah. don't have the talent. They look like a disaster. Big Ben was absolutely falling apart and couldn't move back there he's, at the end of yeah. his run. And was, they still just find hard. a way to be competitive every year. No, it's insane. And that's a testament to Mike Tomlin. I mean, it really, it really is. is. It, it's yeah, insane how he's unbelievable. But, um, you know, to the point, I, I, I'm interested to see what Eddie Faulkner does and if it works and if it. That's the thing for the Bengals is suddenly now you're facing something new, which sucks, right? It, you're, you, you're, you're facing a, a, a complete unknown. Um, but at the same time, you're also facing an offense that stinks. They're so bad. So you don't have to go out and win this game 30-27 to 27 like you might have had to do against Houston, right? They lost 30-27, to 27 and they had a chance to win it 30-27. to 27. They didn't. So you can win this game 16-13. to 13. And if that's the case and Jake Brown looks okay – and it's his first NFL start. He's already had a game under his belt, but it's his first start. You go, hey, there were some good signs there. That's a nice win. And then you can look and go, okay, Jacksonville's a big ask. The next two games are home games. Win those games, and you're still in the playoff hunt. That's that's 
That's the perfect scenario, in my opinion. But it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be 26-23. It has to be like 16-13. And if it's more than that, then good for you. Then all of a sudden, Jake Brown, you're like, damn, giddy up. Here we go. We're thinking pretty similarly there in terms of the, the score of this game, I believe. So we'll address that farther <laughs> in our, our betting segment. Uh, let's move on to college basketball because we've got yes. some big news on that front. Utah Valley transfer Aziz Bandago will be eligible to play immediately after new information emerged that prompted the NCAA to reconsider his waiver appeal. The, uh, the new information the NCAA said it received was essentially that Bandago was suing them. But Cincinnati skinny... <laughs> They now add a seven-footer with incredible mobility and athleticism, and he's an instant-impact guy who should really raise the ceiling of this team. How much does he change your view of the Bearcats this year? It doesn't. Um, it changes it in the non-conference, but when we get to the Big 12 portion of the program, there's a lot of Aziz Vendeos in that league. There just are. Um, it's good. I'm glad for them. Uh, they have a chance to run the non-con. They do. I mean, Georgia Tech stinks. Uh, the Xavier game's gotten more interesting with the way Xavier played over the weekend. We'll get to them in a minute, I know. Um, so that changes it a little bit. But the non-con is so bad, Rick. I, I walked in the media room the other day, uh, yesterday, whatever, it was Monday, and um, uh, Kelsey Conway does some sideline reporting for uh, ESPN+, and she covers the Bengals for, uh, for the Enquirer. And she was talking to Dan Horde, and they were talking about you know, the possibility of this and how well they played against NKU. And I walk by, I go, good for them. They're in first place in the in the horizon. That's great. They're the best team in the horizon league. They don't play in the horizon league, man. I mean, they don't. They play in the Big 12, and it's big boy basketball. And I do think it helps. It certainly doesn't hurt, Rick. To that point, it does not hurt. But he's 11 and 10 at Utah Valley. I mean, that's okay. That's nice. That's cute. But that's not the Big 12. It's just not. You saw Hunter Dickinson against Kentucky when Trey Mitchell's a legitimate four. He's not a legitimate five. He's a legitimate four, and Kentucky would have been better with one of the three seven-footers and certainly with all three seven-footers in the game. But the bottom line is he went for 27 and 21. He's going to do that against UC. He's going to no matter who the big is. Yeah, well, that that's the, that's the point right there. He's doing that to everyone in the country, and that's one guy in one team. Not everyone in the Big 12 has Hunter no Dickinson. Care. And and you'd much rather face Hunter Dickinson with a Z Spandego in the back end of your defense versus with Victor no Locken and Odio right. Guam no at the back end of your defense. Skinny, this changes Correct. their team pretty significantly. And, and let me tell you yeah. why I actually think this is bigger than people may realize. Because seeing them in person this Sunday during the NKU game. And you did. It, some, For those that don't some, know, you're the, you're the color analyst. Something clicked for me, though, about why John Newman is so important to Wes Miller this year, why he's starting. I don't think it's just about getting the guy who's been there and put his time in and give him his chance. When you have John Newman and Day-Day Thomas in your lineup now, they have some real athleticism on the defensive end. They have a stopper in Newman on the wing who's 6'5 and tough. And then Day-Day Thomas is a real athlete at the point guard position, and he puts some pressure on the ball. You add a C Spandego into the back end of that defense now at the center spot. Now you've got three guys that are big time athletes and really understand how to play defense and, and take pride in playing defense. I think Wes Miller is working with a team that is not just elite defensively for the non-conference schedule that they're going to play, like you pointed out, which which by the way, as, as silly it as it looked, it looked silly it's a month terrible. ago, but now that they did get the waiver for a cease, 
it makes more sense why they had such a soft non-conference schedule because they were able to get through this while they were sorting all this out. And now they've got him back before things really pick up and they didn't play themselves out of it. They didn't lose three games to teams that they shouldn't have lost to because he wasn't available. So you got to look, you, you can criticize a lot of what Wes Miller did here, but it all worked out. He threaded the needle perfectly. Had any of it not worked out, he would have looked silly, but it all worked out. Rick, here's my question. Will one of these wins in the non-con do anything to move the needle for an NCAA tournament bid if they go no. 7 not and 11 all. in the Big 12? Not at That's all. That's my no. point. So no, they, the they screwed themselves in that regard. But I think the idea was, and the, the only way it made sense was this, if it played out exactly as it has to this point, which is you don't have Aziz, you have to appeal, then you have to go to legal a legal matter that's outside of the NCAA appeal process and it takes a lot of time and so you don't have him for the first month of the season well now you didn't cost yourself a game against no, pick right, whatever right. you know um mid-level well not NKU they still played but I'm saying had they scheduled a tougher opponent in there oh, that yeah, yeah, wasn't as highly thought of you know maybe they played like a an old Miss or someone out of the SEC that stinks or something like that now you didn't cost yourself a bad loss potentially because you didn't have a cease there um, so it does make a little bit more sense now, I think. And I, I think as these really changes their ceiling at the end of the day, I, I, I know you disagree, but I hope it does. I'm, I'm with Rick. I, I hope it does. Now, now the problem is I think the fan base expects him to be like a cure all for their team and give them an <laughs> offensive top that I'm not sure he does. No, I think he's a Kim Olajuwon. He's 11 and 10 at Utah Valley. You give me 11 yeah. and 10 here. Damn, give give me that. Give me 11 and 10 here. I'm good with that. I'm, I mean, like, I think 10 and seven, even in the big 12 is a reasonable expectation for him. And skinny, the thing is the way he plays, it's not like he has to go dominate somebody in the low post to get his 10 points. It's going to be hustle, uh, two transition buckets. It's going to be catching two lobs at the rim. It's going to be a tip dunk. It's going to be getting fouled. That's how he gets his points. And so he's not a guy that you can just throw the ball into and play through on offense the entire game. And he gives you that, which, which you've talked about. This team doesn't necessarily have a go-to option though. I think Dan Skilling's, might be starting to develop yeah, into that. Uh, yeah. He's been great. I, I would give he, this. He's been great. He's really impressive. And I said it before the season that I thought he might be their best player, even though he's not starting. And, uh, you know, he had 25 points and played like 30 minutes against NKU. So I think that's slowly coming around in terms of giving them more of a... Now, I don't think he's going to be that way every night in the Big 12, but I think if he can yeah. give you that every every other night or every third night, and then you've got enough balance with some of the other guys to get you through, I really like Day-Day Thomas's game. Um, I, I, this Aziz news is a big deal because this UC team is better than I thought originally, and you add him in, and now they've got a real chance because of their defense, I think. No, I, I agree with part of that. I'm not sure they're better than I thought they were. I just I, – because Georgia – funny part is Georgia Tech sucks. They're terrible. I, I wish yeah. – we're doing this on a Tuesday. They play Georgia Tech. I wish that would be a more of a barometer game, and I'm not sure Sir Xavier's a barometer game. I just don't – I don't know. That's that's what stinks at the moment. I don't know where the barometer is. Like I told Dan the other day, and he laughed. He's funny. He's the greatest guy ever. I just said, hey, I said, good for them. They're first place in the Horizon League. And he laughed, and he just uh, he didn't say a word. I just kept walking past him because I like to needle him, for goodness sakes. But that's, I mean, that's where they're at the moment. You're first in the Horizon League. Good for you. Yes, and, and I agree with you that we're learning nothing about them through these non-conference games that they're playing. But I just think watching them – 
and, and I have some of the same concerns you do about the offense watching them. The defense makes sense to me, like seeing it in person up close. I'm like, they are legitimately athletic this year. They're, they're athletic in a way that they weren't last year at all. And I think that's yeah, more like fair. the teams Wes had at UNC um, at Greensboro. It is and, easy uh, to that. You're right. And he and he plays perfectly into that exactly, and he gives yeah. you a shot blocker so and rebounder. So I, it's it's a, it's big news, and it definitely makes the crosstown shootout more fun this year. I mean that that really right. becomes a, no a big time game because we've talked about how important it is for UC this year and and to break that losing streak and 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 what it will mean for Wes Miller. So I'm now looking and no forward question. to that. Let let's go back to this weekend though. They did beat NKU ninety to sixty six yep. on Sunday. Were you surprised by the score of that game? I was. I. I- I, I, I listened to you and Jim Kelch because I was watching Red Zone. It was one of my rare Sundays off. As you, as people know, I cover the Bengals. So I was, you know, I, I had a rare Sunday off. And so I was watching the game. I got to love Kelsey Conway from the Enquirer. She does, like I said, she does ESPN Plus. And she says, did you see my hit? And I went, no, nah, man, I was listening to Rick and, and Jim on, on, on the radio. I love Dan too, but I listen to you guys because I love you. So We appreciate um, that. Yeah, and and the, the, the fact NKU gave up those those points they gave up because remember last year what happened and it was almost yeah. like the part for me that that is a little distressing I guess if you're an NKU fan and it doesn't really matter because all you have to do is win the Horizon League is do you not have a different defense to go to when they're carving up your 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 matchup zone and it sounded like I didn't see it so I'm going to give you full disclosure I obviously didn't see it but listening to it they carved up the matchup zone and they didn't carve it up last year last year was a disaster. Right. Yeah. It, in the second half, especially it got worse as it went, uh, but credit to yeah. Wes, he came in with a much better game plan yes. this year of, of attacking from the baseline and then finding cutters coming through the lane. It was a, a unique way to attack the zone and it worked very well for, for UC, but you didn't really see them sort of settle into that until maybe late in the first half there when they went on late that, that big half. run. Yeah. And it was, yeah. It was a great game for the first 12 minutes. Yeah, and then in the second half, you did see NKU try to change up some things. They went to a more of a trapping defense at one point, changed their fronts a few times just to give them a different look. But uh, mostly they're going to stick to that sort of matchup zone. And quite honestly, they've been elite at their level with it. So I don't think it really makes sense to change it just because a a high major team is doing that to you. But um, there are some concerns. And and someone actually asked as an Ask Any Anything question, but it makes sense to just talk about it now. Is NKU in trouble for the season, or do you think this is typical early season issues for them? Yeah, I mean, you know, to the to the point of what we just talked about is a coach figure out a way to be the defense that kicked his ass last year. Good for Wes, and that's a, that's a pat on the back to Wes. I mean, Washington just beat Xavier by three, right? And we'll talk about Xavier in a little bit. And they beat NKU by eight. And so, no, Middle Tennessee is really good. And to NKU's credit, this is a great schedule early on. And as we roll through the non-con, they'll probably 500-ish, and that's fine. And then you get to the league, and you're going to be even better. No, you're not going to play anybody better than Washington or UC or probably middle even in the league. So good for them. That's that's what you want to do. Yeah, well, that's that would be my take on it, too. The one concern that I do have for NKU is they have completely changed their There's offense. only two scores. There's only two scores. Trey Robinson's disappointing at the moment. Yeah, I would want that. Trey definitely needs to pick it up because I thought he was going to have a monster senior season after the way he finished off last year. And uh, and he's been kind of non-existent so far. Um, But the biggest thing to me, Skinny, is the lack of three-point shooting because they did change their entire offense and 
the fact that they're only shooting 19% against division one opponents right now from three point range, and they just haven't hit many of them at all. You start to wonder like, are they just not getting the same looks or are guys not finding like confident quality looks within the offense now, or what's going on? And does something need to change? Because we know Marquez work and Sam Vincent can shoot from the outside, but is there something new about this offense that is making it difficult for them to find the same types of looks? So I'd ask you, Rick, is, is it more that guys at the bigger level, again, they played Washington and UC and middle middle is not obviously the range of UC or Washington, um, but still it's three really good teams. And the two obviously are upper echelon. Is it more a matter of guys rushing stuff because it's just better athletes closing out? I mean, you've seen it. That's why I'll, I'll flip it on you. Is it, is it, is it more that, or is it more than just they're I, I don't know the answer to that because it feels like that number is so bad. It feels like they're just overmatched of, oh, I got to catch and jack it up as opposed to catch it, rhythm, shoot, go. I think it's more that than anything else. Um, I I think it's uh, what you said, the former, which is them just rushing a little bit and feeling the pressure of high major length and athleticism. And Marquez work, quite honestly, has struggled with that throughout his career. If you go back to like last year's Washington State game for interest. Uh, in, in instance when they had TJ Bomba on him at six, four athletic guard, who's now at Villanova, you know, struggled to get open, struggled to, to get space. And, and when he did, it felt like you said, maybe he's rushing a little bit more because he feels like, Oh, this is my only chance. I got to get this squeeze off real quick. So right. uh, here, here's the good news. NKU, we're going to find out a lot more about them over the next five games. They've got the their own holiday tournament coming up with Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, Long Island. Then you have two conference games with Robert Morris and IUPUI, and then you go to Illinois State. So all five of those games yeah. are kind of like competition, different levels of teams that you should be competitive against. And we'll see, Are like, do they really have issues or were they just playing really good competition? And when they get back to teams that are more like themselves and more what they're going to face in the Horizon League, they look just fine. That's my hope, but but we'll see how the next five games go. No, I, I, I honestly think that's truly the case. I, I do. I mean, it just is. I, I That's basketball in a nutshell. I mean, you know. Whether you're a high school coach coaching up against better competition or a college coach uh, or even an NBA team that's a bottom feeder that goes, oh, we got to go play Phoenix on the road tonight. Yeah, good luck with that, dude. They're just better. I mean, that's part of it. Yeah, I agree with you that I think the Washington game was the tell game that NKU is all right. Because yes. that game showed me that they're up, they're ahead. They're doing some things that they haven't done this early in the year, the last few seasons. And we saw how last year went, obviously. They end up winning the, the Horizon League Championship. So I think they'll be just fine. But again, I'm really looking forward to this next stretch of games. We talked about Cincinnati a lot. They have Georgia Tech on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Georgia Tech coming off a loss to UMass Lowell. So uh, I'm not sure how much of a test that game is going to be. Uh, but yeah, not just uh, UMass. Hang on, Rick. Not just UMass. So I, I UMass hyphen Lowell. I mean, come on now. Yeah, yeah. Not not great. Georgia Tech is struggling this year, so uh, I don't think that one will will be too tough on UC either. Especially with a C span Dega, we you will know, get an hey, opportunity hey, hey, to you know check Georgia him Tech's out. Best player is Rick. Do you know who Georgia Tech's best player is? I do not. Probably Damon Sodermeyer, their head coach. I mean, I'm just gonna say. <laughs> It's, it's probably their best. Player. I should have known. I should have known that's what was coming. Probably their best player. <laughs> you might not be wrong about that. All right, let's get into Xavier real quick. They split their games in Las Vegas. They lost to Washington 74-71, and then they bounced back and beat St. Mary's 66-49. Uh, I think 
St. Mary's is awful right now. They're just a yeah. completely lost yeah. team, and maybe yeah. they'll figure it out. Maybe they won't. But uh, that game probably had more to do with St. Mary's than it did Xavier. But that was still a, a good bounce back considering the way they lost in the second half of that Washington game. Yeah, I, I think um, you and I have talked. My boss and I, who are uh, who's a Xavier fan, and my friend who you know who's a Xavier season ticket holder, we talked about those games. I like. Just go one and one out there, and it's good. Whatever that, whatever one and one means. I don't know how that meant. I was disappointed they lost to Washington, um, but they couldn't guard Severe Wheeler, and they couldn't guard Keon Brooks, and those are two, two high level guys. I mean, whether you like Severe Wheeler or not, as a Kentucky fan, he still played at Kentucky. And he was still pretty good. He wasn't great. He wasn't what you want him to be, but he was still really good. He's still athletic as all get out. And Keon, he's Brooks a hard matchup. Good. So they have two. Correct. He's a hard matchup. Um, especially against certain teams. So, yeah, um, and you're right about St. Mary's. St. Mary's was ranked, actually, last week. They weren't ranked this week, yeah. obviously. I think they were 23rd, maybe not. May, they might have been 23rd when Xavier played them, but they were No, they were 23rd, 23rd last, last week. week. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so, that you know, um, that was a team that everybody thought highly of, and Xavier, Xavier honestly dominated them. They didn't even play very – Xavier didn't even play very well, and they beat their ass. And so yeah. – Disappointing the Washington game, and maybe it was the matchup part of it that we talked about. But that was a good win over St. Mary's. I, I, they're they're not very good at the moment, but it's still a good good program and a good team and a team that the rest of the country. Again, we're not talking about a blue blood. We're talking about St. Mary's, and they were ranked at one point last week. Yeah, I mentioned this on uh, the Musketeer Report podcast I did with Paul Fritzner last night, but it's like, yes, St. Mary's is now on a three-game losing skid, and they looked terrible in that game against Xavier. But had Xavier lost to St. Mary's, we'd be yeah. saying the same thing about Xavier that we're saying about St. Mary's right now. They'd be on a three-game losing skid, and we'd yep. be saying they're really in trouble right now. So it was an important win for Xavier to turn things around and, and show that, hey, we're we're young and we're inexperienced and we're figuring things out, but we're, we're still competitive. We're all right. Um, a, a big storyline from, from this tournament, though, Lazar Djokovic, the freshman from Serbia, uh, Xavier fans have been really excited to see him make it his debut. He finally did. It was a tough spot to be making his debut, and I, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of the results. It wasn't all that good, but if nothing else, I think just adding a six ten skilled forward is um, a nice boost to a team that needs some more offense. Yeah, and, and we've we've pointed the finger at Quincy Oliveri, uh, and he, he played well out there. He made the all, if I'm not mistaken, I think he made the the all tournament team, right? I mean, he had seven rebounds, um, average twelve. Made some shots finally great. too. Made some shots, but I thought the seven rebounds thing was a big thing for him. I again, that might be luck, that might be big kickouts, whatever it is, because he's a guard. But it was that was a, that was a nice ad, and he made the all tournament team, so good for him. Maybe well, Sean Mills boost. Yeah, Sean Miller's been, said he's they've been challenging him to like yeah, it's, it's not good that you're missing threes, but you're also in the Big East and you have to do everything else as well. You can't just yeah. be so focused on the fact that you're in a shooting slump that the rest of your game suffers and you're not playing at a high level on defense and on the glass and all of those other things. So, I do think he's making a conscientious effort to try to be a more all-around player. But the other guy that really caught my eye, and I don't know how much of it you got to see, Skinny, was the other freshman big man, Sasha Shiani, who ended yeah. up starting that second game against St. Mary's in place of Abu Usman. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's that's the part of it, is the more pieces you can add, you're looking at this in the micro of the now of the non-con, but what you can add down the road, because when you look at the league, Marquette's been really good, and and UConn's been really good, and Creighton's been really good. You better get some more pieces because the league has been really good so far. Yeah, the the good news is I think some of the other teams in the middle and bottom of the Big East are 
struggling to find their footing a little bit similar to Xavier. So uh, if you're a Xavier fan, it's like, yeah, the top of the conference is as advertised, they're going to be really difficult, but I do think you're right in the mix in that middle pack, which yeah, is where no, you're no, kind of expected no, to be. No, no, yeah. Nova hasn't been very good. You're right. Nova hasn't been very good to this point. You're right. Providence. You know, there's questions yeah, right, about right. Seton Hall. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I think Georgetown. Xavier fits it. St. John certainly has struggled. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Xavier, I think, is in the middle of the pack, kind of where we expected, uh, even despite some of the issues we've seen from them early. And then finally, Kentucky beat Stonehill 101-67 and then needed overtime to get past St. Joe's 96-88. The Wildcats will host Marshall on Friday at 7 p.m. Skinny, explain to this, explain the St. Joe's game to me because Trey Mitchell, DJ Wagner, Antonio Reeves all scored 20 or more points. The Cats were 12 of 25 from three-point range. Let me say that again. Kentucky was 12 of 25 from three-point range. They only had nine turnovers in the game. Yet they needed overtime to beat St. Joe's. What the um, hell happened? Guard... Yeah, they have no rim protection at the moment. They have none, and that's where you go back to all three seven footers are out. Um, Trey Mitchell's playing the five, and he's doing the best he can. He's not a five, but he's playing the five, and he's trying to do the best he can. But I'm, listen, I'm not making excuses. You are what you are. Uh, they can score. The one thing about this team, and I think that's the part. If I'm a Kentucky fan. And I'm I'm a Kentucky grad, but I'm not a Cal fan. But if you're a Kentucky fan, the part that you would like is they're scoring at a high level. And they've got multiple dudes. Edwards hasn't done much yet. You know, Dillingham had a good game there. You didn't even mention him, but he had a good game there. But you're right, he wasn't among the 20-point guys. Reed Shepard had nothing. I, I, I'm not sure he scored the other night, Rick. He might have had two. Yeah, he had a rough night. Was, yeah. Yeah, he was ridiculous in the, in the Stonehill game. And again, maybe that's the athleticism of where he is and ability to get a shot off. I think he made eight of nine threes and nine of 10 from the floor. I think I'm right on that. I'm close. Um, so they have multiple dudes that can score, but they have no rim protection at the moment. None. And so when that happens, when you're closing out, you're closing out hard and you're trying to get up and guys go around, they kick to another three and you just, you can't guard because you just, you're like, God love you, Trey Mitchell. You're back there at six, nine, but you're not seven feet. And they have no rim protection. The good part was they won the game. And to their credit, they found a way to win the game. It's not much of a credit. They were a 15 and a half point favorite, and they should, you know, win that game handily. Um, so I'm not as much distressed as that. If I'm a Kentucky fan, as I am optimistic about what they did against Kansas. And the and we talked about that on the podcast last week without the seven footers. When Dickinson goes for 27 21, he should have. He should have. Should have killed them. And he did. And so this is such a work in progress, but man, do they have multiple scores at the moment? Yeah, I would agree with you. The fact that they found a way to win the St. Joe's game ultimately makes it like a, I'd feel pretty good about this team, quite honestly. If they lose that one, then yeah, it sucks, but they didn't. And so you you can kind of live with it given the, the guys that they're missing right now. Um, but you mentioned the you know the lack of rim protection and kind of just lack of size overall. They allowed 14 offensive rebounds in that game, which led to a 16 to nine advantage in second chance points for the Hawks. Also, St. Joe's was 15 of 37 from three point range, uh, for, over 40 percent. Yeah, they shot a ton of them and shot a really high percentage. So part that's partly the reason they were able to stay in the game, whether it was bad defense from Kentucky or just a really hot shooting night for them. Right. Yeah, if you're just going to shoot over 40% on 37 attempts, you're going to play with anyone in the country. So, um, yeah. yeah, But, but, but Rick, 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 to that point, I mean, 
I'm a big closeout hard guy, but I mean, if you're going to close out hard and go, well, if he goes around me, I got nobody behind me to stop this dude. Right. You're going to close out enough, but not as hard as you'd like. Right. And so dudes yep. are going to jump up and shoot the ball over to you. And again, it wasn't a great percent. It was a good percentage, not a great percentage. And so again, I'm, I, I wouldn't be distressed if I'm a Kentucky fan. You've lost one game to a really good Kansas team that might win the Maui Invitational when all is said and done. And if they do, they're going to just soar through the rest of where their non-con is probably. And then they're going to go to the Big 12 and do what they do. Um, that's not an awful – and you were up 14. And you could argue, well, how do you lose 14? Well, you do because you've got a bunch of kids and you don't have your big dudes and all those things. I'm not, a, I'm not This is not excuse-making time. But I, I think they have a chance to be really good. They're not there yet. It's a work in progress. But again, to your point, the fact that you had three 20-point game, 20-point scores, and Edwards wasn't one of those, and Rob Dillingham wasn't one of those, and he's been so good. And Shepard off the game he had Friday wasn't one of those. You're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, it's also got to feel good for Kentucky fans that the solution right now to the problems is just go score more points, and it's actually working. Uh-huh. Like that's what they've been wanting for so long, and and it's actually yes. happening now. So even if yes. it's not always pretty, it's got to feel good that that's like the answer, and it, it's, it's happening. Great point. Great uh, point. That was college basketball we were talking about, and you said you wouldn't be upset if you're a Kentucky fan, but let's move to college football where you may feel differently because the Wildcats lost to South Carolina 17-14 on Saturday. They will go to number nine Louisville on this Saturday for their season finale. The Cats were down 10 against South Carolina, then up 14 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, and then they lose 17-14. I don't even really care to break down too much from this game because we're at the end of the season and Kentucky is what they are at this point. But I do want to ask you about Ray Davis and his dad's tweets after this one. It seems like there's a lot of frustration starting to boil over in this Kentucky program. Uh, Ray Davis Jr., the running back for Kentucky, tweeted, it is what it is. Thought I was the bell cow after the game. And his father, Raymond Davis Sr., tweeted, one of the best running backs in the country with 12 carries. Crazy. What were your thoughts on that, Skinny? So I fell asleep on that game midway through the second half. I had slept just for the record. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning on Thursday to catch a flight to Baltimore. Went to Baltimore. Covered the nonsense of that night. Got done writing at 3.30 in the morning on Friday morning. Um, had to catch a flight in DC at 10 o'clock. So I got up at 5.30. I slept an hour, literally an hour. And so Saturday, I knew it was coming. I, I tried. I tried to stay awake. I wanted to stay awake. It's my team. It's my alma mater. It's the one thing I root for. And I couldn't do it. So I fell asleep about, about halftime. And so I woke up and looked at my phone to see the score. And I went, ah, you got to be kidding me. And then I looked at the box score and I looked at Ray Davis. I went, oh, did he get hurt? What's, what's going on? I mean, 12 carries. Did he get hurt? And so to see those tweets the next day from his father and from himself, I went, what are we doing? What, what, what are you doing? And that's the part that's frustrating of, and you, I talked about this early in the year where it felt like I, I, I said this and you'll recall this. I know you will of, well, I get why they're not doing him a bunch of carries against Akron, whatever other slop to Eastern of just save him for the sec and then run him. And then when they don't, it's insane to me. It's really silly to me. And so I'm, I do a Lexington radio uh, uh, show every Monday morning at 720, 590 WVOK, Jack Patty show. Listen, if you're in Lexington, if you're watching this podcast, um, and I enjoy it. Uh, and and they, they do a question of the day, and it's usually political or food-wise. It's something. And the question of the day was, 
should Kentucky fire Mark Stoops? And he said, so he came out and I'm like, oh, here comes the question. He's going to ask me this question. I'm like, no, they shouldn't fire Mark Stoops. But, but he needs to do something different, whatever different is, of let your offensive coordinator do his thing. And I don't, that's the part, I, I don't think he lets Liam Cohen do his thing. I don't think he's ever let an offensive coordinator do his thing. And that's the part that that's frustrating. Uh, you're, it, Davis and his father are right. How does he get 12 carries in a game like that? If it was 12 for 23, sure, man, you ain't running right. But it was 12 for 65, I think. Then how are you not letting him run the football? How dumb can you be? Yeah, mostly I think these types of social media posts by parents are just ridiculous and they always look terrible. And it's like, how selfish can you be and all that? But in this case, they weren't like really calling out the coaches or saying fire the coach. They weren't cussing or anything, but just saying one of the best running backs in the country with 12 carries. Crazy. He's right. It is crazy. 12 carries for Ray Day. I mean, every week we've got, I've got a group text where all everyone on Saturday morning is like, we bet in the Ray Davis anytime touchdown this week. We bet in Ray Davis over in yard. It's like every week we're talking about Ray Davis because he's just automatic. As long as you give him more than 12 carries, I, I, I don't understand what Kentucky's doing. I don't understand what Mark Stoops is doing. Um, and like you said earlier in the year, we were talking about they're just being vanilla with their playbook. They don't want to show too much of their run game to, against these bad opponents. Turns out maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe they just no. don't really have much of a plan of attack for this year's offense. It's weird. It, it has been the weirdest year ever. I know Devin Leary's been bad. That hasn't helped either. I mean, he throws interception after interception after interception. But that's that you know that that can be mitigated by giving Davis carries, and they have not done that enough. And uh, uh, the Louisville game's got a chance to be ugly. We'll get to that at the betting segment. It's got a chance to be really ugly. Yeah, I, they they could have been a little bit more eloquent, like Dane Key's dad, who also tweeted after the game. This is effing awful with an exclamation. Well, that's bad too. That's bad too. He's also, by the way, he's, he's also right I, though. He is right, but I can't wait. I can't, honestly, if I had a chance, I can't do it. I would love to go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. God love it. Who doesn't want to go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl? You want to go? Uh, no, but I will. In the name of content for this podcast on social media to get the word out there, maybe get us a few more listeners. I will gladly dump a Gatorade cooler of mayo on your head after the game. We there can we watch go. it together if at a bar. Kentucky, if Kentucky goes to the Duke Mayo Bowl, you and I will go to a bar. We'll watch the game, and you can do that if they I, go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I'm hoping. I'm holding you to that. I'm hoping for it at the moment. Okay, that's that's on the record. So that's going to happen. All right, it's on the uh, record. Ohio State beat Minnesota 37 to 3. I think you did you predict 37 to 6? You predicted the score almost dead on last week during our betting segment. I think I think you have it written down. I think I'm close to that. Oh yeah, I'll have to go back and look. I think you had it either right on or off by like three points. Um Yeah, I was close. Of course, of course they'll play Michigan on Saturday at noon this week in the game of the year. Um that's all I really want to talk about, Skinny, with Ohio State looking to avoid a three-game losing skid to their rival, which is hard to believe we're even saying that. Yeah. Uh, I guess, do you think this is a winner-take-all game in terms of a playoff spot, or do you think there's a chance I, the loser would still get in? Yeah, I do, other than the the, the Travis injury for Florida State, the quarterback um, gives Louisville more than a fighting chance to win that game. And even if, they, even if Florida State wins that game, do they win it ugly? Do they win it pretty? And at that point, what do you do with Florida State? I think that's the part that's got them in a conundrum at the moment. I mean, I, I guarantee you the committee is hoping to God Louisville wins that game, right? Because then you've got a chance to have more better teams. 
mean, let's not forget that that Washington's still in the mix. Um, you know, one loss Alabama, a one loss Texas that beat in Alabama. It, it, the chaos has not occurred like we thought it would occur. And so suddenly the chaos is, where do we go with this, guys? Yeah, it is worth noting that uh, as we're recording this here on Tuesday night, the new college football playoff rankings did come yeah. out during the show and Washington has jumped Florida state into the top four. So it is now Georgia one, Ohio state two, Michigan three and Washington in that fourth slot right now. So um, with with the undefeated teams, assuming they stay undefeated skinny, I don't know that a one loss Ohio state or Michigan can get in. Agreed. Um, Now, again, Washington could lose a PAC 12 championship game. Obviously, you know, we talked about Florida state, they could lose to Louisville um, if they don't. If they, yeah, hey, listen, if they beat Louisville with a backup quarterback, do you move them back up and go? Well, okay, the backup quarterback did fine, and they're a good team. And they now they've also eked out some ugly wins this year. Correct? I mean, they 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 are not exactly aesthetically pleasing when you watch them. But you know, if somehow if somehow Bama beats Georgia in a close game. And or this Louis or and or this Ohio State Michigan game is a close game. How do you keep the loser out? Do you? I mean, Alabama obviously if they lose two games, but then if Alabama loses two games, then how does Texas not leapfrog up that 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 branch? It's it's a it is a mess at the moment, and that's why I thank God they're going to more teams next year. Where we don't have to worry about some of this. We can worry about an eight and four Utah team next year. I'm good with that. Yeah, I genuinely think Ohio State and Michigan are two of the top three teams in the country without Agreed. question. Like the, yes. the current top three of the college football playoff rankings to me are clearly the top three teams. And then you can argue about four through seven to 10 or whatever until you're blue in the face. I don't care. I don't know what the right answer so is. 17, there. 16 Michigan with Ohio State on the road. Is that that's a what I'm saying? Ohio State or no? I don't think so. I think that indicates they're exactly who we thought they were, but that's not how this stuff works. If they lose, they'll be out, I think. And uh, that's that's not right. How how big of a deal do you think it is that Jim Harbaugh is suspended for this game and won't be coaching? Does that have a big impact? I I don't, man. He's not dead. Ricky's not dead. He's my favorite guy ever. He's not dead. Stop. (laughs) I I just, I mean, is it the same guy coaching this week? I think so. I'm sure it is. I would it's assume. Gotta be my man. It's got to be my man. It's got to be. I mean, Michigan did struggle with Maryland a bit last week. 31-24. Is it, yeah, we did. Is, is it the cracking a little bit? Stop! No one believed in us, man. Well, you, you got to be kidding me. That dude is a nut. Yeah, no, I, I think that was literally a look ahead to Ohio State. I do. And I know you could argue that I do too. how did Ohio State not, not look ahead? Minnesota sucks. So there's that too. Yeah, I I I go back and forth. I mean, the Jim Harbaugh thing, the whole Connor Stallions thing has been such a distraction that I think that's the real factor in all of this. And to this point, it hasn't really cost this Michigan team yet. So I don't think Jim Harbaugh not being the head coach during that game is really going to change a whole lot. They've already figured out how to handle all the communication and and uh, you know calling plays and everything like that. So it's not it's not like there's going to be a situation that pops up and it's like oh we weren't ready for that because Jim Harbaugh wasn't here. Yeah, and Rick, I don't know this and I should know this and you can correct me on this. I don't think he has any hand in any play calling on either side of the ball. He obviously would have it on defense. I, I don't, I'm pretty sure he's not the play caller on offense. So does it matter that much no. other than 
tone setting. And guess what? He can come into a meeting room on a Monday and set a tone and go, see you guys. Have a good week. Go kick ass. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'll have some crazy like video thing that they show to the players right. beforehand sure. or something like that. It's going to get them hyped out of their gourds. Like he'll, he'll be a part of all of this. And yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, by the way, no one calls plays at Michigan other than Connor Stallions. He just tells them what's coming and they, they defend that. So I don't, I don't think it really matters. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to Cincinnati. They were blown out at West Virginia, 42, 21 in a game that really wasn't as close to the score would indicate the Bearcats will wrap up the regular season by hosting Kansas on Saturday at seven 30. And I say their regular season, but it's really their full season. Cause they won't be playing yeah, anywhere that's in the it. postseason either. When um, teams in a bowl game, they're not going to do that. So skinny. I talked to a few people during the uh, cross river shootout, I guess we're calling it between NKU and, and UC yeah. on Sunday when I got there before the game. And they were saying it was the most predictable performance ever. If you were around the team that after they What's got that? there, they said after they got their win over Houston and they, you know, they'd accomplished their one big 12 win. It seemed like everyone kind of took a sigh and was like, all right, now where am I headed in the portal? Like what, what's next for me? Because uh, it seemed like no one was checked in for that game last Saturday, according to the people that are close. I didn't, I didn't know that going in. I didn't sense it, but uh, the people that are around the program seemed to think that it was obvious that this was coming and And uh, they were right about that because this week you've already seen your first UC player, announced that he's entering the transfer portal and not playing in their last game. Yeah. The retired, the retired kids leaving who I love. I think he's a really good player, the tight end. Um, and so I think in my prediction last week, I said that of, I, I, I picked West Virginia for sure. I can't remember what score I picked, but I even said, I thought they get boat raced because it felt like that if they win that game, they would check out, but that, 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 that would be the disappointing to me. If, if I'm Scott Satterfield and or UC fans of how do you not get, get them to, rally around the Houston win. Let's go do another one and let's finish this season strong. Instead, it literally, they got 400 yards rushing, man. You have to be terrible to give up 400 yards rushing. And most of their strength is their front seven. In theory, in theory, you give up 400 yards rushing, bro. 600 yards total. That's embarrassing. And so, I, I kind of brought that up last week on the podcast, and I didn't think it would take place. Although um, I picked against in a in a pool I'm in, I picked to get picked against UC, and actually I had West Virginia for my highest point game to cover. But um, I, I, I that's not that's embarrassing for Scott Satterfield. That's more on him than the players because that's where you have to get those guys locked in. And that was my fear after that Houston win of okay, we did what we need to do. We win a game, we're good. They're going to get their ass kicked this week, in my opinion. I haven't gone there yet, but uh, yeah, they're terrible. All right. Well, let's let's get into that vetting segment right now and, and make some picks. Uh, both of us were, were three and five last week. So that's put you at 43, 39 and two. And it puts me at 41, 41 and two. And uh, that brings us to well, b- both of our teasers hit, though, I should mention. You had Detroit, okay. Green Bay, Houston and Jacksonville in the NFL. A six and a half point teaser. All of those covered. Yeah, here's, I had Ohio- here's, here's my stupidity. Rick, here's my stupidity. I added a 15 to one. I really bet that live. I added Washington to that. Come on, Stupid. skinny. Stupid. Don't change your ticket after the podcast. No, you're right. I had Ohio State and Florida in college. The, my stupidity was I had them in a six and a half point teaser and both of them actually covered the real number. So I didn't even need to pay all that juice. We could have just bet a real parlay and made some good money, but uh, you, you exactly. still cashed if you played it. 
So Saturday at noon, we've got Ohio State at Michigan. Michigan is a three and a half point favorite. The total is 46. Skinny. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Michigan 16, 13. This feels like just they're just gonna grind it out against each other. I know that's probably not right because they'll probably run up and down the field against each other. I don't see that happening. I it feels just very much like a play it close to the vest. Um, it'll come close to the vest and and somebody's going to win by a field goal. If Ohio State won this game by a field goal, I wouldn't be shocked. But I'm going to go Michigan 16-13. So Ohio State to cover and the under for me. Yeah, I'm on Ohio State and the under as well. I actually really like the under in this game. I, I think you're dead on there. In terms of the, the actual game, though, I'm going to pick Ohio State to win. I'm going 24-20. Ohio State gets the win, the cover, and it goes under. Um, obviously, it's a huge game. We've just talked about it a lot. Did you have anything else that you wanted to to mention there before we moved on? No, good, good. All right. And Saturday at noon, we've got also at noon, we've got Kentucky at Louisville. The Cardinals are a seven point favorite. The total in this game is fifty and a half. Yeah, I'm going Louisville thirty seven twenty three. You, I think UofL kicks their ass and it goes way over the total. I, I think the total is not even in doubt. I think it goes way over. So you said that last week with Kentucky and South Carolina as well. I said I disagree with you. I, I like the under there and it went under. I'm going to say the same thing this week. I I do not think this goes way over. I think this is another under game, maybe even comfortably under, but I definitely like Louisville to win this game and cover the number. I'm going to say Louisville 28, Kentucky 17. So Louisville and the All under right. for me. Uh, I, I honestly like that's almost in favorite bet of the week territory for me. So um, that that's one that I, I think is, is pretty good Saturday at seven 30. We've got Kansas at Cincinnati. Kansas is a six point favorite. The total is 58. Yeah. Kansas has gotten healthier. They really played Kansas state great the other night at home. They lost. Um, but I think it's a really good football team. And to your point, I think you see with guys now checking out officially, not just checking out in theory, with guys literally saying, I'm done, um, I, I, I think this has a chance to be an ugly blowout. I'm going to go Kansas 41, UC21. 41-21, so that is Kansas and the over there. Um, do, do you have a huge issue with Shimon Mateer entering the transfer portal before the season is over and not I, playing this last game? It's, no, it's a great question. I, I, I do and I don't. I do because, listen, man, um, how do you check on your teammates now? I, I, I don't get that part of it. I don't because I get that if you think you're a draft pick, and I'm not sure he is, or you're going to the portal, whatever it is, I get you're making a business decision. And here's the thing about sports now. This is all this is. It's all about business decisions. And you don't have to like it. I sure as hell don't like it. But I get it. I understand guys doing it. I understand guys transferring. I understand guys checking out. I understand guys. Trust me, when Kentucky takes their Duke's mail bowl bid, whatever the heck that might be, you know how many guys are going to check out of that game? I mean, honestly, Devin Leary, Barry Brown, Ray Davis. I mean, there's going to be guys out of the Yazoo to check that out. And that's where the bowl games now are just a joke because guys are checking out of that stuff. And so, again, like I said, I do because, again, I'm a big commitment guy. Listen. Hey, man, like I said, I slept an hour and I slept an hour going to Baltimore because I wanted to be at my team's basketball practice the night before because I thought it was important to me and my kids because that's what I want to do. I could have said, you know what? No, I got to get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm not coming. I did it. And again, I'm not here. Don't pat me on the back. But I'm just telling you the 
the correlation of this. So, but at the same time, I do understand guys going, I'm not getting hurt in this stupid thing. To hell with that. Dude, I'm going to get us another scholarship somewhere else. I'm going to the NFL. I get it. Yeah. What do you think? Would I, would I want that guy on my team? No. Would I be happy if one of my teammates right. did it? No. Would I ever feel comfortable doing it? Right. No. Would I even be want to be the next team who takes that guy on my team after seeing him do that? No, I yeah. wouldn't. But at the same time, do I fault a guy when he looks around and says, my coach can leave whenever he wants. All the guys around me can enter right. the transfer portal and leave whenever they want. All these guys are making more money than I do now that none of them care about this winning stuff like you, like everyone say, says they're supposed to or they used to. I, it's hard to fault a guy because you're right. It all has become a mercenary business where you just bounce around looking for the best opportunity for yourself or your payday. And and if that's what everyone else in the room is doing, then it's really hard, hard to fault a guy for looking out for himself. That being said, I, I don't like it. I wouldn't want it. And it, it does suck. And it, it's, I have to imagine there's a lot of dudes who played at these universities who put that Jersey on. And one time it meant something to them who are like, what the hell? Like this yep. sucks. The, these guys do not care at all. I have no pride anymore. And, and from that perspective, I certainly understand it. All right. Uh, I think we both set our score there. If not, I had uh, Kansas 35, Cincinnati 17. So Kansas in the under for me. You, you'll hear my score. Go back and look. I think I, I, think I had you were 41 21. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wrote yours down. Um, all right. Sunday at one o'clock, we've got Steelers at Bengals. Steelers are a one point favorite. The total is 34 and a half. I, I, I don't, I'm going to be so wrong on this. I hope I'm not Bengals fans. I mean, how is Pittsburgh actually a favorite? I mean, new oh, offensive come coordinator. On. Kenny Pickett sucks. Do they've been outgained? Okay, let me give you the next question. Jake Browning. Hear me out. Do you know how many games the Steelers have been outgained yardage-wise this year? Yes, because you told us at the beginning of this podcast it was all 10 of them. I'm sorry. Yes, I did. All 10 of them. <laughs> so they suck. They're terrible. And and I don't think a new offensive coordinator helps because Kenny Pickett sucks. I'm going Bengals 19-13, so I'm going Bengals in the under. McPherson hits three 47-yard field goals, and they score some crazy touchdown. And, yes, it's Jake Browning, but Bengals 19-13. The Steelers suck ass. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you about every everything you just said, except for the part of the Other Bengals winning the, the game. Other than the, the Steelers, score, yes. the, the Steelers do suck, and I do think it's just going to be nothing but field goals in this game. I think the under yes. is an, an awesome play here. I'm going Steelers I mean, 19, Bengals 10. I just don't oh, think wow. the Bengals will score. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. I do. I think they. I, I think, think they get a fourth quarter touchdown after the game's already kind of out of hand. I think it's like nineteen to three, and then they get a late touchdown to make it nineteen. He'll be great. He'll be fine. He'll be better. I'll tell you what. Let's make a bet on this. Let's do a twelve pack let's beer bet. I probably owe you a beer bet. Let's do it. I'm going to give you a beer bet that you want to do this. Yes. That Jake Browning's passer rating is better than Kenny Pickett's. Oh, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want to bet anything for Kenny Pickett being my bet. That's not something I'm taking. I'm I will just give I, you a beer bet, Rick. Wh- why don't you? T- why don't we just do the bet we just said? You take Bengals straight up. I'll take Steelers straight up. All right, fair enough. I have go with that. Yeah. For, for, yeah. for a nice twelve pack, right? Yess. I'll take Kenny Pickett to win the nice game. I'm not taking his quarterback rating. No, is your, is your twelve pack like a cutie delight? What's your twelve? What's your nice twelve pack? Rick? No, what, whatever. You know what? Uh, we'll we'll do a little uh, Braxton, little right, summer trip enough. or I'm road trip, whatever they're in season enough. with. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. We'll wrap it up with your uh, favorite pick of the week, Skinny. Hang on. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's your best? So I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do a fourteen teaser, which you know. I'm gonna do a six pointer. I'm gonna do six and a half, which cuts the juice down. 
I'm taking Atlanta at home against New Orleans up to six and a half. I'm taking the Bengals up to seven and a half. I'm taking Houston, which is strangely an underdog at home against Jacksonville, up to eight. And then I'm going to take, I just had it. I'm going to take, believe it or not, the Giants up to nine and a half at home against New England. They're a three-point underdog at home against New England. They're terrible. And the quarterback's terrible, although he played great against Washington. But they, nine and a half, New England might not score nine points in that game. I mean, that's just a game where someone has to be a favorite. So I think Vegas took a side, but you're right. Neither one of those teams should ever be favored in any games, period. Uh, But so just to follow up, that is four underdogs you are taking in a six-point teaser here. You've got Atlanta at six and a half, Bengals at seven and a half, Houston at eight, and the Giants at nine and a half. Um, That is correct. Technically, Atlanta's not an underdog. Atlanta's just a pick them, but close enough. Yes. Okay, got it. Uh, I've got the uh, hater parlay for you here, Skinny. You're going to like this. Uh-oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go mix between college and NFL. I'm going Steelers is going. minus one. I'm going Kansas minus six in football. And I'm going Louisville minus seven. All right. So that Steelers minus one, parlay. Kansas minus six, Louisville minus seven. Hater of all the local teams this weekend. That was a hater, right. that was a hater pick, buddy. It was. All right, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything real quick because we've been going forever already. Skinny, more likely to happen, Jake Browning throws for 450 yards or Zach Taylor throws for 150 yards? Well, Zach has already thrown for 150 yards in many a college game. If it's today, probably Jake Browning has a better chance because Zach's not throwing for that. But Zach, I think I, I probably can go back. Zach might have thrown for 450 yards in a game, to be quite frank, in his career at Nebraska. But if you would set the odds for this Sunday, do you think there's better odds that Jake Browning would throw for 450 or better odds that Zach Taylor would somehow find a way to throw for 150? So I don't remember doing this, Rick. It was a it was a scrimmage, an inter-squad scrimmage we had two weeks ago. I coached basketball at Ludlow High School. And apparently I don't remember doing this, but I was so mad at, a, at, at the way we defended a play that apparently I took my shoe off at midcourt and I threw it and I chucked it and it hit the wall. It hit the baseline wall. And so if he gets mad enough, can I give you some of that? If he gets like, throws his play sheet 60 yards, does that count? If someone catches it, I'm willing to count that, yeah. As long as someone catches okay. it on the other end. All it's right. got to be reception. All right. Yeah, yeah fair uh, enough. All right, let's move, let's move on to a media question here, Skinny. The Carissa Thompson yes. scandal. She, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but the quote was, I did. She was, on, she was on part of my take. And for those of you who may not have heard it, she said, I've said this before, so I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. I would make up the report sometimes because A, the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late. And I was like, I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up. Uh, This is what she said about doing those halftime on field interviews with the coaches coming out or the little reports that they have coming back from halftime about what the coach told her. And uh, how do you see this, Kenny? Is this a big deal? Where did you come out on it? It is for those that are still doing it. And and this is going to sound terrible. Um, there's not many males that do sideline reporting. It's literally eye candy. It is. I mean, it's just, it's the pretty face that can do it. And there's some that have the chops to do it. Um, and some that are really good at it. And, and I appreciate them. And I feel bad for them because they've gotten lumped into this. But most of the time, those questions are so inane and stupid and the answers are stupid. Coach, what do you do to say, F? 
we need to stop third downs and we need to be better on this. We need to, we're in basketball. We need to make shots. We need to defend better on their drive. They're, they're so inane. But for her to admit that, you know what? She should be fired post haste. And if you, I've heard a couple of them. One of them was from 2008 where she did one where she said she talked to both coaches at halftime. Come on, there's no way you can do that. There's no way you can physically do that. No way. No way you could. What if you got one beforehand? What, what if you got one going in, one coming out? She said she talked to both of them coming out of halftime. Oh, okay. Well, no that way. makes it a little bit different. No, no, no way. And so shame on her. Now she is backtracked completely and say, no, I made that up. Well, it's not funny. It's not cute. I get you're on a shithead podcast that stinks. And I hate I, <laughs> those people are just, I hate them. I hate them with a passion. <laughs> it's just nothing but just, hey, look at me stuff. Um, so maybe you were trying to be funny and cute and um, tough and whatever. No, you look stupid. You embarrass yourself. And that that's the part to me that pisses. And I feel bad for every sideline reporter that has to do that job. Most of them stink. Most of them are just <laughs> eye candy. Some of them are really good. There are some that are really good. Um and, and so I feel bad for them because they take it seriously. They want to be good. They want to do right. They want to do well. And you've just rolled them under the bus, sister. Shame on you. This is a bad quote because you're if you're in the media like she is, and she's famous, so she definitely knows, that right. the average fan or the average person doesn't know how to understand nuance or won't right. look farther into a clip about what she actually meant. So this quote being out there, she has to understand what that's going to be like, how it's going to be portrayed and what it's going to do to other people that are still doing the job. And that, that does suck. I mean, now every single person that does sideline reporting is constantly going to hear fake news. You just make stuff up, yada, yada, yada. So that, that does suck for them. Now, at the same time, I would tend to agree with you. I have friends who do this job. I think they are good people. I think they are intelligent people. I think they're talented people. I think it's a pretty silly job. Like I can't, I don't understand why you would want to do it. I don't think there's much value to it. And like what she said is actually funny and true. Like her point was, and what the way I took this was she was saying like maybe, and, and if she's saying she actually talked to the coach and they told her this, then that is messed up. You like just making that up in that way is messed up. I what I took I it as is she would say something like, oh, the team coming out of halftime really wants to buckle down on such and such, you know, I mean, just the most inane stuff where it's like, no one told her that, but it's like, well, they had three turnovers in the first half. They want to take better yeah. care of the football. It ain't that hard to figure out. You can go ahead and just say the team is really going to focus on taking care of better, better care of the ball in the second half back to you. And no one's going to say anything about it. That was how right. I took what she said. And I didn't think it was a big deal. The, my favorite part of all of this though, what, regardless of Carissa Thompson, was all of the reporters that came out immediately. No one in the world is more self-important than media members. I'm, I'm part of yeah. it, but it is it is hilarious, though, to listen to people talk about how important that they think this is. I mean, it really yeah, does not Rick, matter. It's sideline reporting. No, no one cares. Yeah, Rick, Rick I, I get you, and I'm not, dis- I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but if you do take your job to a serious level, um, Michelle Tafoya, uh, Tracy Wolfson, who I don't like a whole lot because she yells, Coach, Coach, what are you saying about Coach? So <laughs> she bugs me. But I think she does take the job seriously. Um, you know, Jamie Erdahl takes the job seriously. I think they take it seriously, and they should, whether they get the answer they want or not. And so that's embarrassing to you because now suddenly your credibility is at stake. And so I'm with you on what you're saying, sure. and you're right. 
most media members take themselves seriously. And that's why I like about you and myself. I don't think I take myself all that seriously. I do. And I don't. Um, but um, for those that do, I get why you're mad at that because you're trying to have some credibility to the point of she just blew it for all of you of when I hear Tracy Wolfson the next time, give me an answer of, well, Coach Harbaugh told me we need to be better on third down. And Coach Harbaugh said we need to do better on, on you know, uh, uh, against the run. Yeah, and? Well, yeah, okay, so that's my point right there, though, right? Like, yes, maybe you will now think, oh, she just made that up. Does that really change anything about anything? Because no one ever cared Probably about what they not. said before. These are the most pointless. It's the most pointless job in the world. I didn't care about what the coach said to Carissa Thompson before I knew she right. was making it up. And I certainly won't care what she says now that I know that she's making it up. Or even if she is or not, I don't really care. It's just That's hilarious true. how upset media members got about this. Like, oh, this is terrible. It's a travesty. You've ruined the industry. It's like, shut up. No one actually cares about this stuff. Right. But, but so why would you do that to be the cool kid in the room? What was the point of that? Yeah. I I think, I think she got caught up trying to, trying to be like, Oh, you know, I don't take myself that seriously. This isn't what I'm doing. I know that sideline reporting isn't that big of a deal. I thought she was trying to be relatable and actually call out the job of like, yeah, no one really cares if I report about um, the coach that we need to take better care of the ball in the second half or whatever. Now it came off looking terrible because everyone's like journalists, uh, integrity, all, credibility, all those words. And it's like, she's a freaking sideline reporter, guys. It's, she's not, yeah. she's not uh, reporting on scandals inside the White House. I think we'll, we'll live, but, um, you know, so be it. We can't, no, there's no nuance to every, anything. Everything's just got to be like cancel. Everything sucks. Fake news, this, I fake news, really that. So. I, yeah, I'm not a big cancel her, but I was just disappointed that you would actually say that. Just dumb. But I agree. It was a dumb thing for her to say. She should have known better. But like the the idea that everyone that ever worked in the industry then had to send something out on social media condemning it and talk about how bad it was. It's like, relax. You know, I mean, like no one, no one really cares. No one really cares. Trust about me when I tell you this. I didn't go to social media for outrage for that, Rick. Trust me when no, I tell you. No, you didn't. You didn't. And that's why I, I do this podcast with you. Uh, Thanksgiving dinner, Skinny. Big deal or yes. just a big meal? No, I, 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 I honestly, I think Thanksgiving is a really good holiday. Um, we're having a very small gathering at my house with my family and my daughter and my, my son-in-law and um, the dog who's the best dog ever. He's a Shih Tzu. He'll come over. I love him to death. He and Shout I spent some dog. Time, quality time together. Yeah, exactly. We spent some quality time together this past Saturday when I was exhausted and we slept and snuggled and all that thing. No, I, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love it's so funny. And it feels like this happens every year, right? You hit Halloween, and I'm not a Halloween guy, as we talked about. But it feels like you hit Halloween, and you look up, it's January 10th, right? It's like, like stuff happens so fast through the holiday period that you look up, and you're like, wait a minute, where did Thanksgiving go, and where did the Christmas season go? Because it just happens so fast. So, yo, I love no, I love Thanksgiving, not just because of the meal. I think the meal is important, but I love Thanksgiving just because it's just a good, it's a good solid holiday. I can't believe that we're already done with college football season. I mean, I know we no, still have right. the postseason and all that, well, but like the fact that we're coming up on the right. last games of the regular season is insane to me. We're, we're championship week away. Next week is championship week. That's it. No one in the bowls of the playoffs. It's nuts. Yeah, I don't understand the people who don't like Thanksgiving. I mean, we've made our, you know, we're not this big holiday like guys necessarily. We've made our feelings about Christmas clear before on this podcast. But like uh, my my guy, Kenny, who, who listens to the podcast, I know, tweeted at me before this episode and said, 
don't have a question. Just wanted to remind you that uh, you overrate Thanksgiving. And it's like, I don't want to, Thanksgiving's great. It's like, it, it's, it's an easygoing holiday where there's no expectations. You show up to someone's house, you sit on a couch and watch football and maybe talk a little bit with family. And then you just eat and go home. It's, it's a great holiday. Correct. Correct. And, yeah. and you could argue that those that are preparing the meal, and I'll be a part of that, not in a major way, but I'll be a small, that they do put the yeoman's work in, but it's a few yeah. glasses of wine. It's a little cheese tray before, and it's the Thanksgiving meal, and then we sit around and watch football, and you're actually in the same room together with family. It's There's nothing there's nothing to hate. It's funny, Rick, I don't hate, I don't like the pomp and circumstance about putting up Christmas lights and the tree. And all the same, or the damn gifts up, and I do it. I can do it. I'm good with that. But Thanksgiving is more. It's easier than than Christmas. Christmas is more effort. Thanksgiving yep. is literally preparing a meal for the day, and hope to God. By the way, don't thaw the turkey out at the last second. Those of you that are watching this, that thaw it out well ahead of time. It's an easy. It's an easy holiday. It's a little meal preparation. The stuffing takes a little bit of time, and you know maybe the mac and cheese, and if you do the green bean casserole, but. The funny part is everybody that does it loves doing that. There's a part to that. It's no, there's that's the thing. Is, it's the perfect holiday. The person who cooks likes cooking. So, I mean, yes. yeah, it would suck if I was the one I stuff like, preparing all the I food, but cooking. I never will be. So it's fine. No, I love cooking. And I usually am a part of making some of the stuffing, making sure this is right. Um, the rest of my family is really good about doing the major parts, but um, no, I, I, I enjoy being a part of that process. Now, again, if the lions are driving for a touchdown where I need somebody to cover a spread, then I might walk out of the room, but whatever. I mean, I, it is what it is, but it is, it's a perfect holiday. It, it really is. I just do not understand the Thanksgiving haters at all. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish, Skinny? I'm a stuffing guy. I love same. My, my family makes the best stuffing known to mankind. Um, it's just it's simple. It's just the breadcrumbs and the celery and the whatever. I'm not a big. It's funny. I I know people are mac and cheese people. I'm I'm not. It's just too. I can't do turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and um and mac, mac and, cheese. and cheese. Too much carbs. And yeah. I'm not a mac and cheese guy. So I usually do like a green side dish, like green beans. Um, we don't do salad on Thanksgiving, but I'm a big salad guy. No matter where I go, I'm a huge salad guy. So usually I'm I am turkey breast um big white meat guy i i we actually uh we went out and bought a couple of turkey legs for a couple of people that are coming over that like turkey legs but i'm turkey breast stuffing nice. green beans um mashed potatoes and then a roll or two and then a bunch of red wine which is the best part of the meal hell yeah the other problem with mac and cheese is gore, the gourmet versions of mac and cheese very rarely live up to the hype. They're usually no, not right. very good when people try to do right. the fancy mac and cheese. It's like, right. yeah, I wish you would have just bought the Stover's or the the one out of the box, the Kraft. I mean, honestly, yes. it's, this stuff isn't I'm, that good. I know you spent seventeen dollars on cheeses, but oh, for sure. I'm not a yams guy. I'm not a cranberry no. sauce guy. I do. I do love the fact that it's an every year tradition in our family where you take the cranberry sauce out of the can where it still has the the, the ridges around the top. Yeah, part. yeah sure. It's gotta, and nobody ever eats it, but you got to put it out just because it's just yeah. it's part of the thing, man. Tradition. You got to do it. Uh, we'll yeah. wrap it up with this, Skinny. Have you ever had any contentious or awkward family moments at a Thanksgiving dinner before? Um, No. So my my late uncle, who I love dearly, um, he and my uh, cousin's husband and my cousin would come over from the west side of Cincinnati 
to our house when I was a kid and it wasn't awkward, but we would play this great roll of dice. It was a sports illustrated football game called pay dirt and we would play it for money. And I was in high school into college at the time and we would pick our teams and they, it was a sheet. You have to go look it up. It was called pay dirt was the game. And um, you, you had to t- pick teams blindly. So they actually had team sheets. So you couldn't like take the, but this is in the early seventies, my mid seventies, when the dolphins were like the greatest team ever, like the 72 dolphins, you couldn't like go, oh, I'm going to take them and you take them. No, we'd have to tick, pick teams blindly. And we would play that game until like six o'clock in the morning. And my uncle would be hammered and my cousin's husband would be hammered and my father would be hammered and I would be sober. And I'd somehow find a way to win that game at the end because I was the lone sober guy in the bunch as a teenager. So it wasn't awkward, but it was one of my favorite traditions ever. Well, as much as some things change, some things stay the same. Uh, that is just a heartwarming story to hear of skinny gambling as a little child at his Thanksgiving Correct. dinners. But and not beyond. hammered. That's not hammered, Rick. Not you hammered. Were not hammered yet. That's why I said some things do change. Yes. Correct. That's a good yeah. point. That's a good point. <laughs> Great podcast. I enjoyed it as always. Thanks for the questions, guys. Keep them coming. Uh, we'll be back. I know I, I appreciate you guys this week because we were early this week just because of Rick's schedule tomorrow. He's got the NKU game. I've got Bengals tomorrow and then obviously Thanksgiving on Thursday. So appreciate you guys for being with us. Don't forget, Chris Frankel and I will have the Bengals post-game podcast after Sunday's game against the Steelers. But please join us on local12.com for that. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly pro pre-edition presented by Blake the Attorney Mason.